Welcome to episode 7 of News in the North, live from the Vaughn Public Library, because government services are great! Are you telling us they let us book the room for free? Yes, full-blown recording studio. This is everyone's tax dollars at work. Are we getting, like, like funding from... Why are you guys pushing public services so strongly? Because municipal elections matter. Are you guys getting, like, money in the pocket that I'm not getting? There's no conflict of interest here. I'm Ezra, and we're joined by the one and only Corey Freeman. It's an honor to be here. And Andrew. (laughs) Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I think this might have been probably the most boring news week in Canadian history, which is really saying something for a country where the prime minister's refusal to like do anything about electoral reform is like front page news. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a country where mystery terrace tunnels just end up being a cool side project. Right, I remember that. The police uncover an expertly built tunnel. There's legit pandemonium as Canadians suddenly believe themselves to be capable of targeting by terrorist organizations. I mean, Canadians are always waiting for, like, non-Canadians to just realize how special and, like, worthy of attention Canada is. Even if those people are terrorists? By the way, speaking of news, have you guys ever tried switching between the Canadian and American front page news, Uh, especially like if you go to Google News? Because on the American edition, you'll always get something like 29 killed in shooting rampage, and then you switch to the Canadian version, and it says, boy left overnight on TBC bus. (laughs) News? News has not been exciting enough for parents to like leave children on the TTC. Right, we're not right even now. we're not even at that bare minimum. <laughs> no, we're not, like, we're not. like Carrie Fisher dying was the lead story, and it's already ha- like it's been two weeks since. Okay, but to be fair, it's always comforting to have a news hour kick off with a celebrity death. Uh, Excuse me. <laughs> oh no. Okay, come on. It's not as if I want celebrities to just drop jet dead. I mean that the news always starts with the most exciting, consequential story of the day or week or whatever. And when it starts with Carrie Fisher's death, you know that absolutely nothing is going on. Right. Besides terrorist attacks in Germany and Turkey, obviously. Right. Remember when we used to care about terrorist attacks and we like changed our Facebook profiles and mentioned how we're all standing in solidarity with them? What happened to that? Mostly ISIS. They tend to be repeat offenders. Yeah, Facebook can only do these things once every three months before its right. users get fed up. <laughs> right, right, right. Plan spontaneous change. Exactly. It's the bedrock of Facebook. Um, also, you know, there's always stuff going on in Turkey. They're kind of weird about ISIS. They're involved in the Syrian civil war. They don't really engage with government forces, and they fight the Kurds who are fighting ISIS, and they don't really seem to be involved in the liberation of Mosul. You know, but it's clear that ISIS is making Turkey suffer and that the guy who shot the Russian ambassador definitely disagrees with what Turkey is doing. Maybe Turkey's ambiguous involvement in the civil war is why no one is giving themselves a Turkish flag profile picture. Okay, but then why does no one have a German flag in their profile picture? Because, Ezra, 
it's still uncomfortable to stand with Germany. <laughs> like, standing with France is all hip and artsy. Standing right. with Germany is a little bit questionable. Right. If you stand with France, it's because you, like, find cigarettes. That's right. But Ger- Germany is still, uh, it's still, you know, some uncharted territory the out schnitzel there. schnitzel hasn't made a comeback. <laughs> I feel like if you were to stand with Germany right now, like, people would still think, like, mm-hmm, yeah, they have great art, they have great, you know, oh, all these good things. Hitler, 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 you saw right. Hitler. And they're, maybe, they're just thinking Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. Maybe, like, maybe Trump's election has really made Facebook hesitant to stand with Germany. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right. So, anyways, obviously there's stuff going on in the world, but not much is happening in Canada. That's mostly because politicians are on their winter break, which I know sounds ridiculous because they are all grown-ups and not middle schoolers, but that is actually what is happening. <laughs> Another day, another atrocity committed against First Nations peoples. Shocking. Well, this particular story is for anyone wondering why the natives can't just pick themselves up by the bootstraps and fix their own problems. That's right. We're bringing you to the Grassy Narrows Reserve in northern Ontario, near the Manitoba border, where 90% of the population as in nine zero, as in nine out of every ten, have medically confirmed mercury poisoning. There are a few ways that you could figure out that you have mercury poisoning. The first is if you live during the year 1435. Oh yes, a very common symptom (laughs) of mercury poisoning. Yeah, I feel like that's how they drove the evil spirits out of you. It's like the latest craze. Well, the second symptom is if your skin starts peeling and you have trouble hearing or seeing. Damn. Yeah, it's serious That's stuff. That's no fun. <laughs> Yikes. So um, native reserves are clearly straight up on a different planet in this case. <laughs> uh, basically, like what happened is that between 1962 and 1970, the, uh, the Dryden paper mill dumped 10 tons of mercury into the lake. Classic. If you're wondering, whether the mercury poisoning has been a problem since the 70s, as in 40 years ago, the answer is yes. It has gone unresolved for two generations. And let's be clear, it's not like the lake hasn't been polluted, killing fish and making them toxic and affecting the drinking water until like recently. This has been going on for more than 40 years. Yeah, and I just want to add, Ezra, that mercury doesn't just kill fish. Uh, and make surviving fish toxic. It also does the same to minks and other animals. Thank you for that little correction right there. <laughs> You're welcome. The, uh, the killing off of poisonous fish and animals is particularly devastating for a community that relies heavily on fishing and hunting for livelihood and sustenance. Right, what's so special about mercury poisoning, you know, what really makes it so unique, is that it never goes away. Isn't that special? That is just a lovely treat. (laughs) Right. Um, I guess like if fish ingest mercury and and survive, and you catch and then eat that fish, you'll get mercury poisoning too. And since humans typically eat more than one fish in their lifetime, uh, every single contaminated fish that you eat adds to your poisoning. What's been happening is that two generations of people have been persistently poisoned by their own fish and water. Oh, also, here's a fun fact. Mercury poisoning can be passed from a pregnant mother to a fetus. Also, another fun fact. 
Children are being born who never learn to crawl and who can't balance properly and who display signs of autism. Adults die young, have entire limbs go numb and display psychological disorders like depression and self-harm. Since the 70s, food has had to be shipped into the community, but many still cannot afford to buy grocery store food, and so they still rely on the poison fish. Yeah, it sounds completely ridiculous because it is. And uh, Mercury Disability Compensation Board was even set up to give financial compensation to those affected by the poisoning, but three quarters of those affected still do not get any compensation. It feels like it would have been a better idea to maybe clean up and like compensate afterwards the First yeah. Nations peoples, but like, hey, I'm just an outsider here. I'm just a layman. An observer. Yeah. A, a layman, right? Also, the compensation amounts given have not increased with inflation. Oh, sort of like minimum wage. This is like a common theme, yeah, government. This is like, it's like minimum, minimum wage. Right, same logic. Okay. It also has not increased with the cost of living. So basically, whatever was a good amount to be compensated with in the 80s is still what you are being compensated with now. Yeah, can you imagine if anyone else tried to do that, like, who wasn't the government? Like, if Old Navy still had their 1980s policies in place and sold those ridiculous bell-bottom jeans or whatever people were wearing in the oh, 80s? Oh, God. Right. Like, back but, when they had those, like, dance commercials with, like, various groups of people wearing their clothes. I also have no frame of reference for what the 80s was like. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm just guessing. Oh, I missed God, that. No, right. I was, like, somehow, what, whatever was good enough in the 80s is still good enough now because, like, the government does not care to change any of it. Luckily for the residents of Grassy Narrows, Ontario has a just social justice-oriented premier, Kathleen Wynne. Remember mm, her? Oh, God, the social justice warrior. Right, and Canada is led by the twinkle in God's eye, Justin Trudeau. Oh. Surely they could do something about that. A little less twinkle now, but... <laughs> You'd think that they would be able to address the problem uh, and maybe, I don't know, clean up the lake or provide compensation or medical treatment. Right, they are the free wheel, you know, the money-wielding liberals after all. Honestly, I feel like we'd have like a repeat of Elbowgate where Trudeau would like elbow Kathleen Wynne out of the way to prove how Canada is like, you know, hastily just going to come to terms with its crimes against indigenous people and like make real progress on redressing some ridiculous and long-standing issues. But then again, there have been plenty of charitable and moral human beings in power since the 70s, and nothing has changed, not even compensation amounts. Yeah, Simon Forbister, who's the chief of the Grassy Narrows First Nations, invited Trudeau several times to the reserve in order to announce the government's commitment to making things right. The problem for Trudeau, though, has never been visiting native reserves. He loves that. Oh, that's his he favorite eats thing. That up. When, when he sees that on the docket, he, like, he gets excited and calls his mom, you know? Like, he, he knows two things for sure. He looks great in ceremonial headdresses, and he loves making promises to indigenous peoples. The problem for Trudeau, though, has been actually making things better for the First Nations. Ha! Huh. Uh, the federal government has acknowledged receiving the invitations from Chief Forbester, but has not responded, which sounds rude, 
but it's probably better than what their actual response <laughs> would be. Yeah, it's like when you message some, something to someone on Facebook and you get that little red check mark oh, at 948 No, it would be more... Ghosting. I know, I think the federal government's response is more would be more a like, new phone... Who this? <laughs> <laughs> or just like an F-U emoji. Like a, middle, a giant middle finger. Right, well, we have looked into the federal government's actual reason for not wanting to do anything. And it is so full of bull, it's embarrassing. Basically, the federal government contends that since no federal land is contaminated, there is nothing they could do to make the situation any better. Their hands are tied. Yep, that's it, you know... They want to do their best, but jurisdiction, Yeah, you know? Oh. Right, but here's the thing. Has jurisdiction ever stopped it's law? Not even <laughs> once. Not even, I knew what you were going to say, and not even <laughs> once, Ezra. God damn. They, are, they have overstepped their bounds because of, of the First Nations Act. That, like, it's, it's just ridiculous how much jurisdiction they have over these people. Right. I mean... The guy, when they want to build a pipeline over native reserves, oh, suddenly it's federal land, oh, right? But when there's mercury in the lakes, oh no, oh my God, that's you know Kathleen should do it. Yeah, that's her. That's her jurisdiction. Oh, my God. It almost makes you think that, that they would have been better off if they would have found petroleum <laughs> fish in the lake. Right, they have petroleum right. poisoning. There'd be like there like conservative and liberal money just pumping. Pumping into yeah. those communities. Oh my god. Right. Also, the federal government is responsible for native health and fisheries. Yeah, and Kathleen's excuse is almost more pathetic. If you could she, believe it. She, yeah, she refuses to finance a cleanup of the lake because she doesn't want to disturb the sediment. What? And make the situation worse. The, the social justice warrior? Oh no. She just wanted to disturb the sediment. It's napping. Oh man, Kathleen's social justice win failing us again. But she's so sensitive. What a considerate soul for the sediment. Yeah, the thing is that a report commissioned by the Grassy Narrows First Nations that was submitted to the Ontario Liberals refuted that point and gave a number of strategies uh, which could be used to clean up the lake without causing further environmental damage. Okay, so confirmed BS. <laughs> Mythbusters? Myth they have busted right. that myth. Kathleen and Justin are hiding behind terrible excuses to just not clean up this horrific mess. Okay, in Kathleen Wynn's defense, there is no precedent for Ontario premiers to listen to um, Indigenous people, even when they commission that, a report. That's true. That's true. Let's as, make as this bad, first. As bad as this government is being, no government before it in the 40 years has done anything right. either. But also, Mike, I at least respected Mike Harris for not pretending he was nicer than anyway. He knew what he was. He's like a social assistance kind of like single mothers hating sort of um, just like activist conservative government and he knew it. He knew he was he knew he was breaking eggshells. He was confident in his identity. Right, he was confident exactly. Yeah. Kathleen Wynne is pretending. That's true. Um, well, you know, Ezra you mentioned at the beginning Politicians, they're middle schoolers on winter break, and uh, the middle schoolers in this case too, like kids who will say, it's not our mess and we don't want to clean it up. That's basically what this situation is. Yeah, exactly like kids, but they're elected officials. 
Apparently, Canada is spending half a billion dollars to celebrate the country's 150th birthday, which is strange because I always assumed that we would just celebrate with one weird ceremony on Parliament Hill with too many bagpipes and not enough Shania Twain. <laughs> that <laughs> you is never usually... have enough Shania Twain, Ezra. Yeah, can you ever? Uh, but that is usually how we throw down in this country. <laughs> With 50% Canadian content. <laughs> Absolutely, because bagpipes are Scottish. <laughs> and the other 50% being British content. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, most of that money, though, is being used for like community development funds, which was a program created by Harper right before the election where he promised money to conservative ridings. Well, there has to be some sort of benefit to voting conservative. Well, that would be it, Ezra. <laughs> right, conservative governments tend to shy away from handing out cash that's more in the liberal playbook. No, no, no. Conservatives hand out cash all the time. They just mask it in, like, oil subsidies and, like, private-public partnerships. Right. When they hand out money, it's to people already with money. Exactly. So when they're giving out to these random writings, this is really the unprecedented change because these are people without money. Yeah. It's like right. everybody gets backyard pools. You get a backyard pool. And you get a backyard right, but it's pool. Community dev- I, feel, <laughs> I feel like Joe Oliver's, like computational brain exploded we are giving money to people who don't already <laughs> how's it supposed to trickle down <laughs> are you saying it has to trickle up uh, but the best part about this whole thing was that trudeau called using canada's 150th birthday as a bribery a slush fund and then in typical trudeau fashion proceeded to triple the fund for his own uses isn't Montreal in some trouble for spending too much money on a celebration also? Yeah, it's Montreal's 375th birthday this year. So obviously they have to throw down. Wait, are we saying that now we get to celebrate places' birthdays every 25 years? 375 is definitely random, right? <laughs> like, you know how a cer- at a certain point your, your birthday is only worth celebrating every like 5 or 10 years? People don't celebrate their 63rd birthday as much as their 70th. That's just a fact. Once a city passes 150, it's time to cut all this, you know, non-100th birthday nonsense. So Montreal should wait until they're 400? Wait, guys. They're scraping together 30 million to illuminate a bridge in honor of the anniversary. And, uh, well, you know, homeless people still exist. So Mm. that's not going to them. Government has stopped paying for things. And when... The federal government um, st- and stops transferring funds for healthcare to the provinces. It's the cities that end up picking up most of the tab because the province can ignore, you know, homeless people dying on the street of like fentanyl overdoses and stuff. But the city cannot. Well, you know, Ezra, it's what they—it's like what they say. They got to keep the lights on, even <laughs> if those lights are a giant illumination of a bridge in honor of the city's 375th birthday. Ridiculous. I don't want to really call this a news story. Uh, it's more of a lingering anxiety that we all have. Um, but as the new American president gets set to be sworn in on January 20th... Wait, America elected a guy? I know, it's shocking. Many Canadians are worried about the future of uh, Canadian-American trade. Or, as it's referred to in Canada, my entire livelihood. <laughs> Politicians, pundits, and everyone else is understandably pretty nervous about what the future holds in this regard, mostly because no one, 
not even Mr. Trump himself, has the slightest, has the slightest clue about what is in store. He and hasn't rolled the official presidential dice no, to make his no, decisions he hasn't yet. Spun the wheel, right? It's actually going to be a slot machine, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, all we know about Trump's platform regarding trade with Canada uh, is basically what we know about him in general—that he wants to restore America to its former greatness, like slavery or before civil rights or something. Mm-hmm. And restoring America to what it once was seems for him to consist of some combination of rounding up Muslims, uh, cracking down on illegal immigration, and restoring American manufacturing by canceling existing free trade deals. So things literally have to be produced in the United States. Oh, also, um, it means letting Russia uh, hack into your right, electro yeah. right it, it means right it and means, willfully mm-hmm. and knowledgeably doing nothing about it right yeah i know it's not We're also not election. talking about this yeah right, okay. right, right, right all right moving on right so we let's, know roughly three pre- things from what it sounds like about what trump plans to do and uh and what we do know is a patchwork of tweets and slogans written on like hats. So yeah, so while Trump has promised to like tear up the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which which is really interesting because like in the past, every photo where like the TPP like 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 drafters get together, the presidents are always, you know, like ordered in the photo according to like who's the most important. Okay. And Obama has always taken center stage. Right. Always. In the most recent photo, Obama is Top row, far right, not like barely even in the photo. You can't even see the guy. Right. And it's just, it is Malaysia's, humiliating. It's Malaysia's time to shine. Yeah, no, India and like China are like, you know, right in there. Right. And, Wait, and America we have to explain, is gone. We have to explain what the Trans-Pacific Partnership is. Oh, um, so the Trans-Pacific Partnership is a free trade deal between uh, North American countries and East Asian countries. It has not been ratified yet. They've not solidified it. Uh, but and Obama did want it to happen. Obama did push for it to happen. Trump says he's going right. to get rid of it. And Hillary was ambivalent yeah. at best. Yeah, we have no idea where Hillary stood on free trade still. And so, I don't know. I think, she, I, I think it was pretty clear that they were going to go through with it. Yeah? I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the assumption. Yeah, and it was something that... that. And all the East that. Asian countries were on board as well. Um, and actually... Uh-huh. Uh, I was in this class. We heard from uh, one uh, a guy who sits on the policy board of the Bank of Japan, okay. and Japan was really excited about this free trade deal. But or Japan or the Bank of Japan was excited. <laughs> well, very huge difference. I, no, not really. Um, but so, anyways, they we asked the him, bank. We are the people, right? Wait, wait, aren't there aren't there aren't there like 187 million? No, the bank. Of, no, the Bank of Japan, like the Bank of Canada, like no, I get I get what you mean, but the Bank of Canada is a different entity than the than the government. That's fine, no, right? Than the, right? Than the government or the people and manufacturers. Okay, well, well, right. both both the people, as far as I know, the people, the government, and the bank wanted it to happen. But now that Trump was elected, so they asked him, they're like, what is going to happen now with Japan? 
and he's uh-huh. like, I literally have no idea what <laughs> Trump is going to do. We're just sitting here waiting. Yeah. He's like, we know this deal isn't going to happen, right. but we have no clue what else is in store. That's that's yeah. a good point. I feel like Trump that's doesn't know that like Japan is distinct from China. You know, <laughs> China. <laughs> oh wait, so Trump. Oh wait, so Trump has promised to tear up the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Nobody knows what that means. Yeah. But he's vowed to only renegotiate NAFTA which is the free trade agreement that defines trade between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Canada has had the good fortune of not being a Mexican-majority country, so there doesn't seem to be too much popular support for imposing ridiculous measures on us. There was that weird moment in the primaries where Governor Scott Walker proposed building a border wall on the Canadian border, but that idea was quickly shut down when it was revealed how many people cross that border for work every day and how many of those people are non-Hispanic whites. Right, Scott Walker's like, oh, there are no Mexicans in Canada? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, forget yeah. this wall. Oh, they're white? <laughs> oh, welcome. Yeah, the not being Mexican bit has really been helpful in keeping Canada out of this ridiculous election campaign. There are also some pretty big signs that Trump will never get around to renegotiating NAFTA. First of all, he's a huge liar. Oh, that is an unbelievably important important point. He really does not care about what he says. That's right. He already admitted that he wasn't serious about locking up Hillary or building the wall. So his word means next to nothing. And during the campaign, it's not like he was scared to make up statistics. Trump always does this thing where he goes, And I said that, I, uh, you know, that Hillary did this, this, which I didn't mean. But I did. You know, he just keeps going yeah, back and forth. But I did exactly. it. But I did. Like, you know? That's exactly what he And does. it's like, did you mean it, Trump? Did you? And he's like, I did. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. He would also cook up numbers. Right. Just like he, pr- he just promised to all his voters that, Ameri- that, that he'd raise America's GDP growth to 4% somehow. <laughs> but like, 4, uh, 6, you know? Like... Uh, <laughs> Whatever he wants. 120%. Right. Oh, okay. Second reason. He has stacked his cabinet full of corporate executives who love free trade. Yeah, they're the kind of people who move factories to China in the first place. And they love when there are no tariffs. So sending goods to the USA can be super cheap. Also, Trump is the kind of guy who loves free trade. He literally used it to screw over American manufacturers all the time. And third, infighting within the Republican Party might mean that it is entirely possible that nothing Trump wants to pass gets passed anyways, especially free trade. Or it could be the opposite. Or it could be the opposite. (laughs) That would be a nightmare. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Republicans did not magically start liking Trump, though. Uh, They do continue... To despise him, at least pockets of them do, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, ranging from his lying that Ted Cruz's dad assassinated JFK uh, to his weird pro-pussy-grabbing stance uh, to his anti-free trade sentiment. Also, Trump just nominated a new chief of U.S. trade, and guess what? It's Mark Cuban? Uh, No, better. Sarah Palin? God forbid. (laughs) It's the same guy who negotiated NAFTA in the 90s. <laughs> what? And he expects to change things? Yeah. Right. So Canada has very little to fear about a NAFTA renegotiation hurting us. Uh, but not to worry. Canada has been pulling out all the stops just in case. Uh, Trudeau did what he does best. What was that? Sell his body? 
Correct. <laughs> a video message of his was shown to Congress to convince them not to forget about America and Canada's relationship. Uh, something that was straight out of a romantic comedy. Oh, right. I love those rom-coms. We'll, we'll be here for you always. Right. And now, um, apparently, three quarters of Canada's exports go to the United States. 75% right. of Canada's exports go to the United States. Yes. Meaning that the government has a significant stake in the outcome of any negotiations should they happen. Oh, God. Can we but to be, be like, fair, can... the U.S. has... An equal stake. I mean, not an equal stake, but well, maybe an equal stake. They have a significant no. stake as no, well. No, whatever they, whatever they. We're their largest trading partner, and Mexico is number two. So if Trump's going to change that, then that's going to have some serious impact on their. All right, think think about all right, think about NAFTA though. So okay, um, it's bolstered Canadian exports mm-hmm. to a certain degree. I mean, in the natural resource sector, definitely, but. It makes us take the agreement locks us into taking so many imports out of the United like manufacturing imports out of the United States and Mexico that it's resulted in a net loss of jobs for Canada. Whoa. So labor leaders are kind of in support of um, a NAFTA renegotiation. So I don't know where the statistics on job loss come from. But I got from the Center for uh, Policy Alternatives. Here's, here's a thing. See, though. I don't like the Center for Policy Alternatives. <laughs> well, you can't just disagree with it. It's no, a, I, don't trust it. I don't know where they're pulling statistics out of. But the bottom line is that 25% of all Canadian jobs are in some way dependent on trade with the U.S. Sure. So that, but I, I don't think that's a downside because that's how things are uh, manufactured these days. That's how countries make goods. You know, right. NAFTA, the way it works is, Mexico will send something to the U.S. and the U.S. will do something with that product and they'll send it to Canada. And the, these things will cross borders many, time before, many times before the actual product is made. Right. And that's how you make advanced goods. Sure. Um, and you can't really grow an economy and increase wages uh, and increase productivity without having free trade agreements that are really important. Okay, except here's, here's the thing, in Mexico, here's the thing yeah. though. You said they were going to renegotiate a deal. If you think that we're renegotiating this deal so Canada does not get as many imports from it, then you are so wrong. Because up until now, the United States has been a very import-centered economy. That is what they are. They, right. they import and they buy things. They get their money out there. Right. And that way other countries can do stuff with their money and they have a lot of power with, right. with that, with their, you know, other countries using their money. But, but now Trump is like, no, we're taking protectionist policies we're going to soak up our money. Right. We're going to get our products out there so people have to buy our stuff. Right. And if you think that Canada is going to be like sheltered from that, then that's, that's, that's just false. Uh-huh. If anything, we're going to be importing more things if we have to renegotiate right. NAFTA. Okay, but okay, so here's the thing. So I'm not denying that right, like that's, that's, like that's the reality, but like the United States puts itself in a very advantageous position vis-a-vis Canada and Mexico. Right. Um, and we're basically colonies. Right. Them. Right. Exactly. They need like they need something. They need they need Mexico's cheap labor and they need Canada's natural resources. Yeah. That's the deal. In it's a like, nutshell. It's like but the, likewise, it's like the, dream but likewise team, the, you know? the Canada relies on Except the U.S. market right. in order to succeed as an economy. Right. Sure. Right. Sure. 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 But here's the no, thing. Of course, we need even the when US, no, we but need even when markets. so even even though um, even though NAFTA has increased productivity in certain sectors. Um, specifically natural resources in Canada and uh, manufacturing along the U.S.-Mexican border, it has not been accompanied by a, a rise in wages. No, I think... I, I just, Right? No, it hasn't. 
there has been not has been a rise you cannot disagree with that like there hasn't been a rise in wages to match the rise in productivity that's and, not true Before, yes yes it is in terms of look just looking at gdp per capita no i'm talking about how much money workers get it had the wa- wages have stagnated that's the problem i since, i am very since the early 2000s i found out about this. this yeah well that's like that's what's been going on. Oh, wait, except for except for the top, um, except for the top twenty percent. So I agree with you that income inequality likely increased as a result of NAFTA because yeah. that's just what happens in free trade deals. Because a lot of the time, you know, uh, these low end manufacturing jobs get outsourced, yeah, and get then the uh-huh. people who do really well, the people who are, you know, company executives, for example, but, I mean, it helps the economy overall. So I think that Canada could have done right, a better but who's job. It, but who's it helping, yeah, though? That's I'm problem. not 100% sure, like, who has been helped by this? So, so everyday workers are helped by this because... No, they're not. It, that's why they voted in Trump. There was a, Okay. There no, was, that, they, they're not being helped. So, since 1980, since 1980, the graph, like, if you look at how much... Like if you look at people's income since like in the last three or four decades, for people um, in the bottom eighty percent of the of you know the Canadian income ladder, um, their incomes have moved in a straight line. The only increase is the top twenty percent, right? Which increased by forty thousand dollars. That's since okay, but the, you can't but you can't attribute all of those changes in wages. Purely to free trade. Obviously, you have to look at how okay, the economy. Right. I'm, I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. Right, but I'm just saying that. So if you don't know. Trade, but it could have been. It could have been that if you didn't have free trade deals, then the wages could have gone down. So you right, don't know. I'm just saying that free trade is supposed to be this like magical thing that's supposed to like automatically make people better off, but it hasn't. So, and that's why. And I think that the longer we deny that, that like the longer people, right? The longer, like people are angry about it because what people feel most hasn't been. Um, whatever net benefit there might be to a country's GDP because of like exports or whatever, it's been that they've been losing jobs. So and the United States has shed um, has shed millions of manufacturing jobs, and people have had to go into like lower non-unionized service jobs, right? And they felt that. You know, you feel your wage change, you feel your loss of benefits in Canada too. I I disagree. There's a study done by the Council. Of economic advisors down in the U.S. Uh, that they did for the White House, right? Obviously, it's good trade. Okay. So they looked at the average industry's increase in exports in the 1990s and 2000s. So that was around when NAFTA happened. Okay. Uh, and they found that it translated into an additional $1,300 in annual earnings for the typical middle class worker in the U.S. So those are the statistics. Right, but that's average though. So that's not that is the not, average middle class worker. The average middle class worker, not just okay. the average okay. worker overall. So the people who are benefiting from free trade aren't just the people at the top. Sure, there are losers from free trade. That's just the way it works. When an economy engages in free trade, what happens is you shed the least productive firms who therefore can't compete on the global market. But okay. what happens is you make your uh, top firms better firms and you're making the economy more efficient overall now those people who are working for those companies yeah they're gonna be hurt by it um, and you have to think that there's gonna be a government 
that's going to be responsible enough to address those issues. Uh -huh. But the net gains are not just for corporate executives. They are for the workers in how the, do the firms. Workers, how do the workers get that gain? Because if your firm is, if your company is doing better and making more, yeah. there's no way that that doesn't how does get your translated. But how does your company, how, like, how does your company compete in this global market, though? Because say that you're, say that you're making uh, minerals in Canada or something. Okay. Right, so you're working for that company. Now all of a sudden NAFTA happens. Now you can sell your product to way more people okay. at a far cheaper cost because you don't have to deal with tariffs from the US. So your company is going to succeed and those benefits do get passed on to you. Um, no, they, but they don't though. Yeah. The profits because are not just the profits. No, the profits like, like, yeah, but like they, they have the trickle down. Or yeah, because for because it's had a, it depreciates wages. Well, then, because that's that like when you say that they that it's the firms who get to compete. What you mean it's the firms who are willing to drive down wages, and it's the firms who it's not at, who make it cheap to do this stuff. Yeah. Is that it displaces it displaces government control? Yeah, and that. Now, right, so now the global market has the power to dictate government policy, right? Because governments can't make um, companies, um, you know, pay high corporate taxes, for example, or they like they lose, they lose yeah, some they of their control. But no, because they, they have the threat of moving their workers out of the country. Right. That's, because, that's why they have such a huge bargaining. Plus, you have all these things like in the, t in, in um, like countries could sue other countries for like for unfair trade policies, right? Which really takes, it takes a lot of control out of your, out of your like domestic government, right? In favor of something else. And when you say that, like, I just want to go back to when you say about, um, you drop the least productive firms, but you drop so many firms, you, you know, know, like the four, like all the other companies, like they're picking up and leaving. They're not. If you look at auto companies as a result of NAFTA, right. they actually in Canada, they got a ton of investment from, uh, from the U.S. as a result of the deal because a lot of U.S. firms decided to manufacture uh, in Canada. I mean, there are all sorts of factors that you have to consider when you think about what's going to happen uh, to jobs. But okay. the net, the net, like, for example, you have to consider the exchange rate too. I mean, look at Canada today. Uh, our dollar is at, you know, 74 cents U.S. or, or something like that. Okay. So it's, you know, we, we benefit from that exchange rate in the sense that NAFTA helps us export uh, and American companies like manufacturing right. things in Canada. But we lose, we lose in the middle class, though. We don't. And in wage and wage inequality, firms are benefiting. That's right, just but the there's fewer and fewer of them. But there are. And you, yes, there is. It's no the middle. The middle class. The middle class has shrunk. But you over can't the last say that quite, it's because of. Oh okay, yeah. So okay, but but all I know is that um, is that like the middle class was sustained by being able to. Um, work in work in factories with a minimal post secondary education, and still getting a livable wage and benefits. That's not true. Yes, yeah, so that's at, the bedrock of the middle class. Okay, if I look at the see the argument that we're thinking about here is you know is part of like the broader problem of you know machines are replacing right. Fine, automation and, and is also a huge. Yeah. Okay, but it's but it but it's also not. Well, but that's you know, but that's you part of at, your that's part of your competitive firm theory though because. Like how, like when you talk about like how do firms decide whether or not they are 
whether or not they stay or whether or not they leave. It's who could shed the workforce. No, it's who can. It's how it, do we make. It it's how thing. do we make the goods cheapest? Yeah. Now, a lot of the time, the way you do that is by increasing shedding productivity. The so there was the 2010 increasing productivity, but also shedding the workforce. Right. Also shedding the workforce. I, I love it. Just, I'm, 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 I'm undecided. I'm very finish, open Chevy. to both arguments. I'm undecided okay, on let the me finish, trade benefit. I think the scope of this is massive, and I think we just you know it's so hard to touch on everything that free trade can affect. I agree. Um, there was this 2010 study that I wanted to mention that was published in the Quarterly Journal of Economics, and they looked at Canadian firms that um, had access to the U.S. market as a result of the 1989 Canada-U.S. Free Trade Agreement, which, which preceded NAFTA. Uh-huh. So there was this agreement, and then in, right. I think it was like in 93, there was NAFTA. Okay. So in 89, the Canada-U.S. Free Trade Agreement, um, the firms that actually got access to the U.S. as a result of that, they had increased labor productivity, they engaged in more product innovation, and they had higher adoption rates for advanced manufacturing technologies. Now, that sounds like it's screwing over workers, but it just doesn't work that way in economics. Productivity increases the more a worker is able to produce, right, the higher the wages are going to be. No, but the wa- wages have been disconnected from pro- increases in productivity. It's, that's not true. If you look at... Yes, it look, is. If you no, look at the 1970s... Re- read, but like read, read the literature, though. That's what they're saying. Right, I agree. People have, people have become more productive. That's... Undeniable. That's how you right. advance an economy. That's how no, you raise except, standards of living. No, except it hasn't though, because wages haven't increased that's with not, the that's productivity. Not, I know it makes no sense, but, but that's, that's not, what happened. No, that's not necess- That's not. First of all, wages have increased with productivity. If you look at the economic slowdown of the 1970s, one of the major factors behind it was that there was a massive decrease in productivity growth that began around 1973. If you look at what happens in any economy, how economies develop around the world, they become more productive and they produce more goods and that you have a higher GDP per capita and you raise standards of living that way. That's the that's the recipe for economic right, success. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the theory, but in practice... That's the practice of it. No, that's, that's, that's it not the practice. People's wages have not been increasing. So how do you increase wages, Ezra? You pay people more. Right, and so right. so how you are you going to pay people more, more without right, making more money? Right, how okay. do you do that? Right, so, okay, so I agree that in a perfect world where corporate executives are willing to play by the actual rules of economics, that as the workers increase their output, which they have been, they would also use that those extra funds in order to pay their workers more money, right? Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. The reality is that the, is that the drive to keep your company in Canada or the drive to be more, more competitive, you know, in a global market um, has meant has meant that um, corporate executives want to increase productivity to make money and then pay their workers less to to uphold the bottom line and um, and you know automate and out and outsource See, right that's... it's not it's simply not true that um, that wages have increased with with um, that wages have increased with more productivity okay, but you can look at the statistics on wages, and I think you'll find that they increase. But even if you don't, you can't look at the wage statistics and say, oh, the reason why it hasn't been raised is because 
and then telling I, a story I think, about I think, corporate executives and no, how they I think, I think, I think that there's, there's just so many more factors that influence it. For example, if you're looking at wages in Canada, a lot of the time the statistics that you'll get are going to be in US dollars. Well, that means that it's going to be affected by the exchange rate. And so you'll see if you look right. at the graph of it in the last year, wages have, have decreased right. a lot, but that's I, just because I, of I technicality and right. how things are I think, I think that there's still a basic causal connection, like that, that you could at least establish some sort of, you could at least establish some sort of causation. I don't think you can. And I don't think that, I, I think that the best thing we could do is, is um, expand the opportunities for selling things. Look, if you're a company, you want to be able to sell it to the most people possible. That's what these free trade agreements have, have done for Canada. That's why NAFTA has been so successful for us. Because before, we had all this oil, and guess what? We don't need all of all <laughs> the oil that Canada produces. We don't need all of it. We had this excess supply, and being able to sell that to the U.S. and to the world has yeah. done wonders for our economy. When oil tanks, the Canadian dollar tanks. And that's not just because that means that corporate executive salaries are decreasing. If that was the only reason why an uh -huh. oil price decrease would be bad, then that wouldn't hurt our economy as much as it does. It hurts our economy because we rely on selling oil and our middle-aged, our middle-income workers rely on that as well. And that's just the way that our right. economy works. But We're like, wouldn't it, be better, wouldn't it be better not to be locked into natural resources though? Well, that like, if we could expand our manufacturing. Never, that would, would be, but that's what we have. A that lock-in though. Here's the well, thing. What I understand. Free trade allows saying. countries to specialize, so we're really good at making right. natural resources. But should right, we be so dependent on it? Probably not. Right, but right, right now, right. we have a comparative advantage in the production. Right, but it's screwing us over. Though the theory it's of not screwing us over, it made us a lot of money. But the theory of competitive right, advantage. The theory of competitive advantage is is lovely, in theory. When when it happens to be like, look, I understand what you're saying, and I have to say, primarily, I do agree with you, Corey, on free trade. It does make sense that you know when. Total GDP increases, wages increase. I get that, okay? And whether or not that's happened in reality, I think is yet to be seen. I wanna see more of the graphs and, uh, and literature from Ezra. But um, I think the theory of competitive advantage, which you, which you just stated, um, does have some serious setbacks where, especially in free trade, we get locked into natural resources. There, and there's no way of escape. Because, because when we specialize, right, and, and other countries continue to specialize as they do. They become more productive in that field. Right. And so we, when we try to edge out, when we try to get into something else, unless we're creating an entirely new industry that has yet been unseen, we are not gonna have any competitive advantage in that industry. We are not gonna be able to export in that, in that industry and we're gonna be, be forced out of it. So we're I agree with you. We'll be forced back into natural resources. So I agree with you that, we, that Canada should invest more, but that's, and that's something that the government can do is, is find ways to invest more in things other than um, than oil, for example, I think we're too reliant on yeah, that. Yeah, natural resource but, dependency is ridiculous. But natural resources are always going to be needed uh, by people. But they get driven lower and lower, especially because Not when you well, no, because when you get to price of oil's on up and up and up for the past several decades. Because <laughs> but, right, but every other until but, it crashes, sure. Yeah, but, but every other reason. Even the crash is higher. Okay, but we're not for free trade, Andrew. We would. I guarantee you that Canada would not have the standard of living and the quality of life that we have today because we would not have been able to sell our natural resources to anybody. Now, whether it's time for our economy to transition and we, for us to develop new sectors to develop a comparative advantage in, sure. But the answer is not closing our borders to trade because that just means we're going to be pretty unproductive in most things and it means that prices will be elevated unnecessarily and we're not gonna be able right, to but, buy goods for as cheap. Right, but also, so in the, in the decades before free trade, huh. like, um, I don't know, like, um, I guess free trade really started to kick in the late 80s. 
I don't know all the deals. I know that that with the U.S. it was it was the late eighties. It was late eighties. Well, no, we made the deals in the late eighties. We really early nineties is when we start to reap the benefits, I suppose. Right, but so you're saying that um, even before even before free like if we continued on our trajectory of the whatever it was 60s 70s mm-hmm. that like and you know continued to do what we were doing then mm-hmm. then we would not be able to enjoy the standard of living that we have today so i i i'm not sure if that's i'm not sure if that's true because like as wages were increasing at a much faster rate then or like and people weren't as like unemployment was like was like wasn't increasing at the speed it is now either. It's like it was different then, right? It was a different time, sure, but there's no way that we that Canada's could have, GDP could have increased to the given point. given that other countries are engaging in free trade. No, just given the idea of us being restricted to a domestic market. Uh, free trade is a good idea. If it were not a good idea, then countries would not have engaged in it in the first place. There's 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 just like that that's just the way it works. I mean, no one's forcing any country into a free trade deal. But the reason why they're happening all the time well, and why being forced. No, they're not being forced. No one's forcing these governments to. These governments don't don't don't. Yeah, because if you don't, yeah, if you don't, you're to, kind to. of screwed though. Why? Because you have to engage in it because like that's where the world is moving. I'm talking about right, why, but why did but why do people why did those previous people have free trade agreements then? Because it works and it helps economies grow. I think it'd be interesting to see if we get rid of free trade or if we significantly reduce it um, or put you know heavy regulations on it then and then just you know take ten years and just see what happens. Let's go with it and see what happens or you know or we. If there's a way to engage in free trade and still, right, to engage in free trade for whatever benefits to, like, the economic magic or whatnot, metaphysical, like, whatever it's metaphysics. It's not metaphysical. It's, you can see it very clearly. Oh, yeah, but people are still losing their jobs. And losing, so if Some there's a way... Some people lose jobs. Yes, that's how free okay, trade works. So you if need to still, help those people retrain or offer them better right, social welfare sure, policies. Sure. sure. So, okay, fine. So if there's a way to whatever, engage in free trade but still not... And still, and then still not ignore the people who become the masses of people who become unemployed and lose their benefits as a result. That'd be well and good. Now the problem you can. is that look at any of the countries who have really good welfare policies. The Scandinavian countries don't don't forget they also have yeah they trade. also they're have free trade. Of, they're part of right. the EU, but right? I, but I would also argue I'd also argue that um, that free trade agreements as they stand do create a sort of downward pressure on government where. They have to relinquish some of the t- the taxation on, um, you know, on these companies, on capital gains, on not on capital gains, not on capital on, gains, on, on on corporations, sure. But the reason why the U.S. is in the mess that it is, and a lot of people are really upset, and you know, sure, uh-huh. rightfully so, and probably why they voted in Trump, uh, because a lot of them lost their jobs and all that stuff. You know, a lot of that has to do with the policies that that the U.S. took in term, namely. You know, not having affordable health care, not having a uh, right. They're more susceptible. They're more susceptible to allowing free trade, to um, right to um, create policies that end up being detrimental to their own people. Yeah, or you need to just in general just like have smart policies. Like uh-huh. the U.S. had has had terrible uh, uh, social and economic policies for a while, and it's finally catching up with them because their income inequality 
uh, has increased by a ridiculous amount, but that doesn't happen across the board. Every right. Anyways, so they have so they have the combination of that with no policies to like redress the damage. Right. Yeah, they don't have good policies. They, have, they don't have good policies. I agree with you. On that. I agree with that. And also, I'd argue that Canada, <laughs> right? That Canada um, as well um, has, right? Like you know, cuts in cuts in social assistance and unemployment benefits is a terrible idea. Yeah. When when all this stuff is happening, and it, right? And, I agree with you on and that. that the, and that there's no right that uh, we talked about problems before the workers' compensation uh, for injuries and about um, right that got, that provincial governments can't afford uh, pharmacare or daycare. Like that's just like right. Okay, fine. So I think I, I'm not I'm not sold on on this future, but I think that I'm willing to concede that. Um, if if there were some sort of redressal policies that um, that it could mitigate the like damage the, the damage. Sense.